you know, I mean, I, it was a time of just praying and a little bit of fear and trepidation because what was I going to do? I'm going to walk in there on January the 2nd. And how is Bob Harrison going to change that business from the other people that had had it that couldn't change it? What was I going to do different? Well, hey, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, I'm really, really excited. Uh, my guest today has uh, a life of wisdom. And, uh, and he's one of those rare guys that um, not, not only has built up a, a big library of wisdom, but spends his life pouring it out. Um, you know, I've searched the world and there are very few people who uh, have built successful corporations, successful lives, and then live selflessly enough to want to pour it out. There's very few of those people around the world. Uh, and Dr. Bob is one of them and he's been doing it for a long, long time. And so I certainly appreciate it. I've, I've known Dr. Bob from a distance. We've, we've been to a few events together over the years, me just as a delegate. And, uh, and what I really love so much about Bob is not only the timeless wisdom of scripture and the practical application in business, but just that real father heart. He, you know, he, he's kind of got that apostolic oversight, nothing to prove to anybody, uh, you know, kind of worldview. And for me, that's certainly attractive. So Hey, welcome, Dr. Bob. Why don't you tell us who is Dr. Bob Harrison? Hey, good to be back with you. And uh, I, I love Australia. It's, uh, I was out to dinner with my wife two nights ago, and we were just reminiscing that, you know, I've been to over 70 countries. And I said, where's your favorite place to go? And I said, it's hard to nail it down to one, but one of my favorite of all of them is Australia. You know, uh, and so here we are remotely. Yeah, <laughs> but I kind of get the feel of it. Even put the flag behind me to get you know get in the mood. Yeah, the flag behind you is a beautiful touch, and uh, uh, it makes me think that we've got to bring you out to do something here again. Uh, if you yeah. if if you and Sharon love it that much. Yeah, um, well, you said who is Doctor Increase? I, you know, that's hard to define. But uh, years ago, I was speaking at a big network marketing meeting of several thousand people. And I was struggling to find a word that would uh, picture the concept that I was trying to get across to the people, that if you would think bigger, bigger things could happen. And that what you really needed was already out there. It was waiting on you. And I was using interchangeable different words. And one of the words I used in my first talk with this group was the word increase. I used prosperity in different words. And this, I'm going on stage for the second session. And the announcer, the MC says, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome to the stage the man that I am now going to refer to as Dr. Increase Bob Harrison. And as I was walking on stage, it was like, Wamo, that's it. <laughs> and so I, I trademarked it. the name with the federal government. And, uh, and uh, we've been running with that name and that message ever since. So, I mean, I, mean, I love it because you didn't even come up with it. It just hit you like a ton of bricks. Um, yeah. So and that's the way so many things happen from God hmm. is that, you know, we're just doing our normal thing. And all of a sudden he gives us a divine inspiration or an idea or a word. And if we catch it, that inspiration, that word could be life-changing. So let's talk about how it's life-changing. Cause I think there'd be some people that would say, okay, yeah, doctor increase, that's cute. You know, increase. Yeah. Well, he's going to want us all to have more money, right? Which I'm sure you do. So that's, you know, that's, it's definitely an element of it, but for you, the concept of increase is so much broader than just money right? It's, it's, for you, it's not a vague word like abundance or, you know, those like prosperity. It's, it, it's so much more defined. So, 
So give us what, like from your perspective, what is increased thinking or increased living? What does that look like? Increased, uh, the way I present it, it's not a message about money. It's a message about thinking. It's a message about thinking bigger. And as we think bigger, bigger things happen. Now, I'm simplifying it, but that's, that's it in a nutshell. And what do we do to begin to think bigger and to think more positive and to expect more? But when that happens, it isn't just the finances that increase. Every area of our life increases. Our love increases. Our relationships increase. Our giving increases. The impact we have on society around us increases. Our whole life just takes on a different dimension. And so finances is part of it, but it's just like the side effect that goes along with some of the other side effects as a result of us breaking scarcity thinking and breaking traditional thinking and begin to think bigger. Now, in order to do that, first of all, a person has to be aware that they are trapped by the thinking that they have mm -hmm. and that they, that they can and have an awareness that they can expand that. And when they expand that, their world gets bigger and everything gets bigger with it. So I want to go back to a time that you probably weren't thinking like this, right? You, uh, with, with the most respect, have the benefit of time, right? That's yes. like, um, and that's what I really appreciate about what you share. Um, I'm sure there's a time, if I go back far enough, that you didn't think like an increased thinker. You thought like everybody else, probably, probably even a decreased thinker, right? What what changed for you and how did that happen? I want like was that a, was that an encounter with a person, a, the scripture, the Holy Ghost? Was it you just got sick to the back teeth of how you were? Like, take us back to that moment because it wouldn't have all been rosy, uh, you know, back in the day. No, I, I was always a, a progressive thinker, looking for opportunities, and and at a young age, successful. You know, at the age of 30, I was the youngest, one of the youngest private capital Chrysler dealerships in America. So I always had a success orientation. But with that, I was fighting an inner battle because my background was actually, I was raised in sense of scarcity, in the sense of uh, there's not going to be enough in having that fear. And so part of me is trying to be successful. And inside of me, I have another part of me that has a fear of success, a fear of running out, and a fear if I have too much, I'm taking from somebody else. And so those two came into conflict, you know, with each other. And, and I actually had a businessman challenge me. He said, Bob, go and look at the Bible, and you find out that the Bible really is a book of increase. He said, God didn't just pick Abraham because of his faith. He said he picked him because he was a big thinker already, and he knew that he would do big things with, with the faith that he had. And so I began to study the Bible, first in the Old Testament, then in the Old New Testament. And I began to recognize that throughout the Bible, God blessed people with increase, and he wanted them to have increase. And as they had increase, their impact of their lives went up. Love it. Love it. When was that, by the way? When, did, when, was that, when was that battle kind of reconciled? Can you take us back to a year? Oh, that's a good question. It was, it was a process, but primarily I came into the conflict when I had a miracle opportunity. Literally, I, I had an automobile renting a leasing company, two employees, not a big business. And one day I took a customer's car in to get service at a Chrysler dealership. And in America, Chrysler is one of the big manufacturers. And uh, I took it in there to get a, a service. And the owner of the dealership was in the service drive. 
and we began to visit. And in the conversation, I said, how's business? And he said, well, our store, this store is doing good, but our second store is doing horrible. It's been open one year. It's lost money every month it's been open. It's, we're now running out of money. The good salespeople have left. Uh, he said, in fact, I made a decision this morning. I'm closing the store. I phoned Chrysler this morning and said, I'm closing the store in three weeks. He said, how's your business? I said, we just had a record-breaking month. And he called me into the office. And 20 minutes later, he offered to give me 20% ownership in the dealership if I would leave my leasing company to try and save his business. And so he came into that business. And, and quite honestly, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, you talk about a major leap. Uh, but I knew that God had opened that door and given me a miracle opportunity. And so I know I have known and learned then and thank goodness more even so now before I get on my feet when I don't know what to do I get on my knees. And I said, God, when Daniel didn't have an interpretation and didn't know what to do, your word says that you gave him wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And I need that now. And literally over a period of the next few days, he began to give me an action plan on what to do to save this dealership. And to make a long story short, and I'll come back to the original question. In the worst time in the history of Chrysler up to that time, uh, when dealers were closing every week, when people were lined up in panic situation to get gas during the gas crisis, in that time, we were able to increase sales 300% and the dealership skyrocketed to the top 10 in Southern California in the following month, I bought the dealership. Now that's the success story, but now the story of the mental, you would think this would be the greatest time of my life. I mean, all of a sudden three employees to 50 employees an unknown businessman to, to be known and Chrysler and everybody talking about the success. And when I was busy, that was true. But when I got quiet, I was fighting this inner battle that I shared with you earlier because I was actually feeling guilty for being successful because my background, my teaching had taught me that, you know, you're, you're supposed to be enough is okay. But if you have more than enough, you're taking from other people. And, and the guilt was on me. And that's what I began to search to find out. Was he the God of decrease, the God of average or the God of increase? And I discovered his name was El Shaddai the God of more than enough. And that began the process of my changing my thinking. Well, I mean, such a phenomenal story. And I want to get to the specifics of how much you paid for the dealership because I know, but I know our listeners will be keen to know. But I want to, okay, so, so we can look back now uh, through the passage of time and go, yay, Bob turned this business around and, uh, and, and, and you know, became financially successful and increased. But actually, I don't want to skip over I don't want to skip over those those hours, those days, those weeks when when the opportunity came, uh, because I mean I, I meet a lot of people, um, not necessarily business people who are seasoned. They've kind of come to grips with this, but I meet a lot of people who are praying for a breakthrough, praying for increase, praying for financial breakthrough, and they don't realize that it usually turns up looking like a lot of hard work. Right, it, it, the, God gives an opportunity rather than just a big bag of cash. So, so I want to go back to that moment because it would have been very easy to say no. It would, you know, you were married at the time, I assume. So, 
you know, like you, you would have had to have processed that with your wife and like, what was that? What were those days and weeks like when you were given an opportunity that was something out of left field, but you knew that you knew, but you didn't quite have it together to like, you didn't have a strategy. You just had a huge amount of faith and you felt the Lord was on it. What were those weeks and days like? Oh, boy, you asked some great questions that it really causes a person to think inside. Uh, you, you know, I, I didn't struggle a whole lot because there was just a knowing to me that this was a divine opportunity. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, increase is a process. It, it takes time. Other times, it's just something shows up and boom, you either seize the moment or you miss the blessing. And I just felt this was one of those moments when you when you take some risk, you get a you experience a little bit of discomfort, you stretch yourself, but you go for it because the opportunity, the outcome is so great, and you would feel so guilty if you look back and you didn't, you know, uh, at least try for the opportunity. Uh, but then during that three weeks before we actually came in to take over the store. You know, I mean, I, it was a time of just praying and a little bit of fear and trepidation because what was I going to do? I'm going to walk in there on January the 2nd. And how is Bob Harrison going to change that business from the other people that had had it that couldn't change it? What was I going to do different? And so that's where I really needed the wisdom of God and begin to actually also phone some people that had been in the business and ask them some of the things and begin to formulate a, a formula so that I didn't just show up. I showed up with a plan an action plan on what to do from day one. But you had to let go of the profitable business you had. And I know I was, I was able to keep it. And that was really right. good. So you, you just blended both together. Yeah. Well, I separate corporation, but I kept the leasing company and hired somebody to run it. And so we still had the automobile leasing company, which turned out to be a home run because the 500 cars we had in the leasing company inventory became an extension of our used car inventory. Yeah. So if somebody came in looking for a car that we didn't have in the lot, we could look at the 500 cars we had at least. And if it was one out there, we could make an offer to bring that car in, get the person a new car, renew a lease. And we had another sale. So it actually became a home run for us. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So, so the guy gives you 20% on a handshake on day one, after 20 minutes of chatting, um, you go away and work that out. And then you, you go build that business, go to top 10, and then you turn around and buy the entire dealership off the guy. What did you pay for it? Well, in today's money, uh, it was $50,000 then, but we're at 20, maybe $20,000 down. Now, the, the rest was down the road, but I only had to have like 20, 25,000 cash in order to make it happen. And because another thing that God gave Daniel that he gave to me was favor. You know, and, and it's a verse that I regularly confess, and I would say this to those that are listening. God has given you, the spirit of favor, but a, a, something like a gift only operates if you open up the package and you use it. Just recognize wherever you go, you are surrounded with a spirit of favor. And that means that people want to do business with you. People lean towards you. It means that, that, that you have more opportunities and edge that others in the marketplace don't have. And so favor was something that really I felt was was working for me because I mean why would a, why would the bank approve me being the owner and taking that over but they did yeah and uh, that that was almost the biggest miracle is doing the turnaround yeah uh, I want to go to the turnaround because they you know these are hardcore business people that are listening to this and watching it what what a couple of the strategies you used practically to turn that dealership around what did you what did you start hustling and grinding into to make the numbers work. 
you know, we, we sometimes look for complicated things, but the answer is found many times in the fundamental and the simplest things. And so I, it isn't necessarily we have to say, oh man, I did this and this. I went back to some of the basic foundations. And I think that I look back at the very first day I was there. I, I said, okay, uh, I, I just, I, I walked across the street and I looked at the dealership and I thought to myself, if somebody drives up to this business, what are they gonna see? What are they gonna think? What are they gonna feel? And how are they gonna respond? And as I did that, I said, this looks like a bankrupt business. When a business is in danger of going under, oftentimes the first place they stop spending money is on maintenance and upkeep. And so many times a business that's hurting, it has a certain look. And this dealership had that look. Well, if the business looks like a business that's going under, what are people going to feel and think when they drive up there? And how am I going to do a turnaround? So I, I feel, realized the first thing I had to do was change that first impression. Now, here we are, a dealership that's out of money, a dealership that's on the verge of going under, and I'm going to spend money on imp improving the way it looks. But I felt that was what I needed to do because you never get a second chance at a first impression. And so the first thing I had to do is go out and change that first impression. And I don't want to take too, too much time on the details of it, but, but you know, like I had a landscaper. I mean, can you imagine, <laughs> you know, you're hiring a landscaper in a business that you think is going out and going under, but I had to change that look. I, I found out that we had over 50 cars in the back in the storage area that were dirty and the front lot looked like you know, scarce. And I said to my lot guy, I want all 50 of those cars on the front line within a week. I don't care if you have to hire after school kids, whatever. I want this. He said, boss man, there is not room to put 50 more cars in the front of the dealership. He said, it'll look like a parking lot. I said, I don't care what it looks like. We've got to look like a volume dealer to be a volume dealer. We had to change the look. And so there were several other things we did, but I spent hours just contemplate what do I have to do to change what people see, what they think, what they feel, and how they respond when they walk into that dealership. And so I think that, that was really the first thing. You know, we would call that today brand, being on brand, you know, like you, you can't say you're a volume and then have a handful of cars. You know, you, you have to give people that brand experience before they ever buy from you now, right? So yeah. now, now that's like, like business 101 right but back then that that would have been that would have been quite revolutionary for you to make those decisions but but all you did was prove a modern theory that's been around forever and a day you know that it, you know like you never get a second chance at a first impression that's true about how you look your business cards your your, your office your car you like everything um you know and and uh and, and yeah we've got to give people that experience so you know if you turn up to somewhere that's second rate you've already made your mind up that it's second rate you subconsciously whereas yeah. whereas you you get nice green shrubs shrubs and you give it a lick of paint and you you know you give it that that, that vibe then of course more people are going to buy see now maybe it might be the web page or whatever it's where people get their first impression but i think i think as owners and leaders we have to we have to change the perspective we get used to being around things and used to things we have to stop and say okay what does a stranger think and feel and respond. 
And that's the perspective we have to have as somebody else. We have to detach ourselves and look at it in that point of view. And so that, that was probably the, the first thing, you know, that I did. I, uh, the second thing I, I did is I had to analyze the people. Uh, the good people had left. The, the eager beavers had left. So while I still had salespeople there, but they were basically maintainers. But you, you can't turn around a business with maintainers. You have to turn around the, the business with people that, that are eager beavers. You have to get them. You have to compensate them. You, and you have, you have to recruit them. I mean, but, but I realized that's what I needed to do. I had to change some of the people. Uh, and I would say that's a thing that I find holds many businesses back from experiencing increase. Because oftentimes the people that get us to the level that we're at are the very ones that are keeping us from going to the next level. Because they, they, they have now arrived at their level of comfort, but it might not be your level of comfort. It might not be where you want to be as a business or as a person. And so we need to constantly be analyzing that. Are they growing with us or have they parked? And if they parked, we might need to have them go park somewhere else and bring in people that want to go up to that next level. And so I realized I had to exchange some of those maintainers with some new people and find ways to get them. So we, we actively, right off the bat, went to try to get some sharp people that could help bring, you know, us turn, do the turnaround in, in the dealership. And, awesome. and I say this, let's stay with this for a second. Sometimes we have the right people, but they're in the wrong position. And so, you know, and sometimes we need to analyze that, you know, uh, maybe we have somebody that's really good, but they're not performing well. Well, maybe the problem is we have them in the wrong job. Uh, years ago, I had this lady named Hillary, and we had her doing data entry. And we just felt that particular uh, this season that we were going to give all of our employees a personality test. It's nothing that shows you're right or wrong, but it just helps you see what your strengths and weaknesses are. And so we did this personality test, and she scored low on detail and was a perfect score on people skills. And I have her in the back doing data entry. I guarantee I changed her job because I had her in the wrong place. And so when I changed her position, I changed her performance. Mm. So it isn't a matter of just go fire somebody. Sometimes we need to analyze, maybe we got somebody good, somebody loyal, uh, but they're in the wrong place. And then the other is sometimes we're just not motivating them right. You know, everybody's not motivated the same way. Uh, a lot of my salesmen, they were motivated by money. So we, if we had a sale, we do weekend bonuses and things like that. But others, they weren't that motivated by money. They were motivated by other things. My number one salesman, I found out he was not motivated by bonuses. You know what motivated him? Gavin, the corner office and having a nicer car to drive. So I found out that's what motivated him. My goodness, he was going to drive a nicer car and he was going to get the corner office. Because that for him, money wasn't the motivator. It was something else. So I had a responsibility not just, oh, fire these people, hire other people but find out what were the good people that were there and how could I change the motivation for them? Love it, love it. Hey, are you enjoying this episode? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe, like, comment, and share. It helps build the algorithm so that we can get this message out to more people. See, here's the thing. We don't have these fancy sponsors. It's me paying the bills to get this show to you. So do me a favor in return, would you? Subscribe, like, comment, and share. Let's get back to the show. I've got a bunch more questions for you, but before I go there, I don't want to miss the opportunity for you to talk about the events that you run. 
Um, you know, I don't want to do it at the end because not everybody gets to the end of the episode. Uh, you run these significant business events uh, called Increase. You run them in two places in the States. I just want people to at least have it on their radar that these exist. So can you just take a minute and let us know what your events are? I believe we've assembled one of the greatest uh, conferences for leaders that takes place anywhere. Uh, this will be our 40th year now that we have been doing these increase events and leaders come from all, all over the world to them. The thing that makes them unique is, is the way we structure it. Uh, we have four to seven speakers a day, but we're done at one o'clock. Uh, because we do them at luxury resorts and we provide an opportunity for people to idea exchange and fellowship and play together and cross fertilize with each other. Uh, we bring in some top notch speakers. Uh, uh, we have people from the spiritual arena, you know, such as uh, we just finished with Jensen Franklin. Our next one's going to be with John Bevere. We bring in great spiritual speakers, but we also bring in top business speakers. So, and we hit different things. We do health, we do finances, we maybe do taxes, we do all these different areas uh, all together. So, people are always going to get something that they want. But the thing that makes it unique more than anything else is the attendees. It's the people that are in the ballroom. Uh, it's just the most unique collection of leaders anywhere. And so if the people want to get information on it, uh, our next one is going to be in California in the Palm Springs area in November. And then we'll be back in Hawaii again uh, next April. Uh, and uh, www, I mean, increase.org, and they can uh, pull it up and get information on it. Increase.org. We'll, we'll put that out so that people can find out about it. Um... And I will say this, there are, our, fee, our registration fee is surprisingly low because we have some top leaders that have been so impacted by this uh, that they donate in order to have us lower the registration fees and make it available to more people. Yeah, tremendous, like tremendous, so kingdom. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'd love to come out to your Hawaii one uh, at some point. And, oh, and yeah, we'll have to talk about that. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Hawaii is about 90 minutes closer to me than California, not a whole lot. So, it's, 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 But um, now that'd be really cool. All right, I want to come back to more increased stories. You told me of a story once where you ended up with a house and I've seen the picture of the house, beautiful house. You ended up with a house for a dollar. Now, um, how did that happen? And, you know, I want to talk about divine appointments, favor. Like, how did you end up with a beautiful house for a dollar? You know, I, I think it's a running theme maybe through our time together. So let's capitalize on it. And that is we need to have an awareness as Christian leaders of God's ability to change our direction with an idea, a thought, a meeting a person and be sensitive on a regular basis to when those things can happen and to be willing to act upon those. Now, I, I'm going to jump ahead for just a minute, if that's okay, and, 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 and I, I'll get just a little bit spiritual, but I'll be careful, because I know maybe everybody isn't where we are. But, but I, I truly believe that, that God directs and speaks to people through their spirit, but that spirit has to be in tune, and it's only in tune if we're spending time praising and worship and spending time in prayer and sensitive to listening to him. And so I've tried to develop that sensitivity. This is my own personal life. But I can tell you, as a result of that, my life is a collection of just appointments and ideas like this happening. And you just struck on another one. I, I'm sitting in an office. We just moved to Tulsa. And, and uh, we hadn't sold our home in California yet. 
and we weren't sure if we were going to stay longer than eight months at the time. So we were thinking we were just going to lease a house. So I'm, I'm in there at a real estate office, getting ready to sign the papers on a lease. He's filling out the papers. And just because we didn't have cell phones back then, I just said, I can do something. So I read the paper and I just started looking at the ads and there was an ad there. It said, Southern Colonial Mansion, owner anxious, will consider any reasonable offer. And I said to the realtor, stop. I said, wait a minute. If he'll consider any reasonable offer, maybe he'll take an unreasonable offer. I said, I want to go see that house. So we went to see that house and it was in the finest area of Tulsa by Southern Hills Country Club where they just recently did the PGA Championship. And, but it was disaster. It, the weeds were growing. It, it hadn't been occupied in months. Uh, its shutters were broken. It, it looked horrible, but I saw potential there and it was in a beautiful area. And so I just said, okay, let's make an offer. And so I made him the best offer he'd had in 90 days. I made him the only offer he'd had in 90 days. And I offered to move in for a dollar down and nothing a month in exchange for me fixing up the house. And we would go 50-50, put the house in the market, and I would, I would get half the profits with a dollar investment by if, in order to do that. And he, was, he went for it and signed the papers. So I bought the house originally, just short term, thinking it was going to be a way to make money. But as it turns out, he didn't continue making the payments. The house went into foreclosure and the bank came and offered to let me buy the house for the, for the loan of record. So we ended up then buying the house for nothing down. And uh, we lived there for many, many years and fixed it up. And it was a beautiful, beautiful place. But again, look at, I'm filling out papers and all of a sudden an ad. Not just an ad, but a divinely inspired ad that I would happen to see at that very moment it would cause me to be part of a miracle investment. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of your return on investment, it's um, infinite because you put no money down. Oh, yeah. And, and, and also, it, it just was such a, a perfect place for Dr. Increase to live. I mean, you've got this white house on top of the hill, you know, that the, and, and it, it was just it was every time you drive in the driveway it made you think increase. Yeah. And you didn't pay for it. So it's the ultimate increase. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I eventually had to do payments, but that was yeah, easy. Yeah. 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 But not on day one, you didn't. Uh, no, awesome. no. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I remember we signed the papers and I thought the guy might change his mind. And in, 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 in law in, in Oklahoma, I don't know, but it is in Australia, you know, you, if you take possession, it kind of seals the deal. So, so we quickly went and got a folding chair and five chairs and put them in the house so we took possession. <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Then if anybody comes knocking, at least you're in there already, right? So, yeah, I'm in there already, yeah. Um, uh, that's really, really cool. Um, we have a bunch of people that listen to the show. They could be doing 100 million. They could be literally have just started their business yesterday. A lot of the, a lot of those small business owners that listen may be doing, you know, less than say five mil, to, you know, the two to five million mark. There'd be a lot of guys that are, you know, underneath in there. What would you say to them? Right, they're they're possibly just starting out. They've got the whole world, but they're they're, they're probably full of faith and at the same time a little bit fearful and. Um, what would Dr. Increase say to those people, you know, they're, they're listening, they're on a podcast or a Peloton or, a, you know, riding a bike or mowing a lawn, like, what would you say to those people to, you know, all those years of wisdom that you've collected? What would you say to them if they're at the start of that journey? Uh, Warren Buffett, who is one of the richest people in the world, 
uh, was asked that same question. He said, if you were starting as an investor, what would be the investment that you would make? What would be your first or most important investment? And he said, the most important investment a person can ever make is an investment in their thinking. He said, because everything I am and everything I've done is the result of thinking differently than other people. And so I know it sounds like a canned answer, but I would say you've got to invest in your thinking to think bigger and to build your faith, whatever that would look like. Uh, and surround yourself with people that are successful. Talk to them. Take them out to lunch. Let them mentor you. Uh, uh, listen to podcasts of people that have, have been successful and listen to what they did to become successful. Feed yourself so that you begin to believe that you can do more and become more. And as a result, more things will begin to happen in your life. Now, that's in the natural. In the spiritual, I would say you need to grow also. Spend time in the Word, in the Bible. The Bible, to me, has the greatest success principles you'll ever find. And depending on where you are spiritually, go to Proverbs, the book of Solomon, a book of wisdom, and just start reading the, the, uh, the, some of those Proverbs. It'll give you direction and a foundation for success in life. You know, what I love so much about that, you say it's a canned answer, but it's actually incredibly practical. You use Warren Buffett as an example. For him, it started when he bought the book, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, right? Which is a, which, so he, he invested in himself by, by buying a book. He then went on to work for Benjamin Graham, got the understanding of value-based investing, and that's all he's done ever since, right? Um, I, I remember, I remember your, I, I, you know, some of your story where, you were listening to like nonstop in your car at home, listening to, you know, positive messages. You turned your car into a university on wheels. You had these little cards you would ride on. You would, you just consume to invest in you. You know, for me, from the age of like, like 10 and 11, um, I, I would be getting tapes, CDs. You know, when I got a bit older, attending every course, I would literally be, I would reach out to people that I didn't know and I would say, hey, I would love to take you for lunch. You've got to have lunch anyway. Never coffee because no one wants that. I'll take you for lunch. I'll fly down. I'll pick you up in a hire car. I'll take you to lunch. I just want, like, like in my early years, hustling, like, like all of that, right? Every seminar, every program, every investment I could get my hands on to invest in me. But, but there's a lot of people today that are looking for the shortcuts, right? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you know Bob Hassan from the US. He's just written a book called Shortcuts, and it's basically about no shortcuts. Um, can you speak to that as, as somebody that did the hard yards rather than looking for the shortcuts? Like, like, no, like why, I, no, why, I, why invest in yourself? Like, why, why is that the thing? Well, everything that everything's going to happen to you is going to come out of your thinking or out of your spirit. And so to me, those are the two greatest areas to make an investment uh in in your life uh, it's one of the most thing and that's why i believe in coaching i believe in mentorship uh anything you can do that's going to add to you and and add to your thinking and add to your understanding and add to your wisdom is going to make you a better person and give you a better life and make you more money and that's that's to me a real key you know i i, I just i would add to that that it's the thing they can't take from you right yeah. pandemic comes doesn't change me investing in me i've still got my knowledge Recession comes, yeah. I've still got my knowledge. Business goes under, I've still got my knowledge. Partner steals from me, I've still got my knowledge, right? And, um, you know, like the government can be as corrupt as you like. I've, I'm still in control of me because I've got my knowledge. And, you yeah, know, and, and there's and a tremendous, isn't that a tremendous feeling though when you think about that? I am not controlled by what happens outside of me. 
I'm only controlled by what's happening on the inside of me. And if I can manage that, I can manage anything. The system may be out to get me, but actually I've got all the cards. Yeah, that's right. You got, you got it right. Yeah, like that, that's, that's why I love everything that you do because you're rallying people, investing in them, getting them to think bigger and better and so forth. Um, yeah. You, um, the father of this kind of movement of self-education was Zig Ziglar. And you spent many years, this is a selfish question, this isn't even for the listeners, I want to know what were those years like, because I had the tapes, you know, I had the tapes from the early 90s, um, what were those years like traveling around with Zig and, uh, and I don't know, just enlighten me with some of those stories, it would be amazing. You know, Zig was, Zig was a tremendous person and, and uh, the people I like to have in my inner circle are people, people that are the same on stage and off stage. Uh, they're, they're not a different person. And Zig was that kind of a person, always uplifting, always encouraging, uh, just great to travel with. And uh, we just had an opportunity to given to us to uh, do a seminar that he was the keynote speaker on. And I was kind of a side note person. And we did that. And it just went very well. And the coordinator says, I want to put you on the program. And so we shared the stage with Zig, traveling literally across America for 20 years. And sometimes audiences of 10,000, 20,000 people. And it just, it made me think bigger. It gave me and our message a greater exposure, but it just was such a wonderful, wonderful experience uh, uh, during that season. Yeah. I remember there was, I, I was given, I think I would have been about 11, uh, maybe 12. Um, my, my stepdad worked for a big global corporate, so he would then go to these big seminars around the world. Um, and so they would fly in, Zig and others, and you know, then he'd get these cassettes and he'd bring them home. And he had no idea. He had no idea that when giving me these cassettes would, would, would basically change my life. But you know, I, would just li I would just listen to them until they had nothing left in them, right? You know, as a 12 year old boy, 13, 14, then we emigrated to Australia. I was born in London. And then, you know, and, and then from there, it just became like, once that was inside of me, just, just keep going, just keep, just keep that investment. But, but, but Zig, Zig was an amazing man. Yeah, he was America's number one motivational speaker. People say, well, why get motivated if you got to keep getting motivated? Well, why take a shower if you got to keep taking a shower? Why brush your teeth? You got to keep taking your brush your teeth. It's a matter of you just do the things that you have to do in order to maintain the success you want to have. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd like, if we have time, I'd like to share one more thing on the dealership. Go for you know, it. If it's okay. Because there was something else I did that I think is really, was really a key to the turnaround of that dealership. And that's, uh, there was a verse that I came across in the Bible as I'm doing this reading and, and things and preparing for it. And it was in Galatians where it says, what you sow is what you reap. Now, I'd, I'd heard that verse in church for years, but this time something different jumped out at me. Uh, you know, before I heard sow and I heard reap, but this time the word that jumped out to me was what? What you sow is what you reap. And so I got this concept and the first week I had the dealership. Now, I want you to picture this for just a minute. Again, this is a store that's out of money, in danger of going bankrupt. The original owners have given up on it and they've turned it over to this rookie to try and save the dealership. And in that format, I phoned my pastor and I said, pastor, I said, how would you like to drive a new Chrysler? I want to give you a free car to drive. I'll give you a new one every six months. That didn't make sense. But see, I knew I wanted to have a harvest of car sales 
So I began by giving a seating a car. What you sow is what you reap. And so I would challenge these people out there that are in business that want to go to the next level. Are you sowing of the thing you want the harvest in? Not just giving of money, but are you sowing on the thing that produces the harvest? If not, try it. It worked for me. I've done it several times and, and it's just really effective. But, but more than that, an increased thinker is a liberal thinker. A an increased thinker is a person that lives to be a blessing. I am so excited every day I get up because every day I get up is another day I can make a difference in other people's lives. And when you get that thinking, your life will take on a whole different dimension and blessings will unexpectedly show up for you. It's so good, Bob. It's so good. Um, I, I just want to spend a minute at that topic of the business owner and their pastor, spiritual covering. You know, everyone would be maybe slightly different in, in, in the terms they use. How important do you think that is uh, for entrepreneurs to be, you know, um, like at a home church or under some sort of spiritual coupling, but, but also contributing financially. Talk, talk into that relationship um, from your perspective of like pastor and business owner. Uh, well, to me, well, number one, it goes to a foundational verse in Proverbs. A liberal person shall be made wealthy or rich by watering others, you water yourself. And to, to me, it's, it's an attitude. Yeah, you, you can have, I had a friend of mine that was worth 20 to $40 million, one of the cheapest, chintziest people I've ever been around in my life. Money didn't change what he was. But I have other people, they're liberal, you know, and they don't have as much money, but they're living an abundant, wonderful, happy life, and they're making a difference. And so I would say, whatever state you're in, make a decision today that you are going to be a liberal person. Now, the danger you face is you're thinking, I, I can barely survive. I won't have enough. No, you will, because God will replenish what you supply. I don't, I don't know if you remember my, uh, the last chapter of our book, PowerPoints for Increase, that you have, but it's a story about a man in Oklahoma that uh, had given over his lifetime 30 gallons of blood, and he's doing it one pint at a time. Now, think about it for just a moment. You go in and you get blood. You walk in with five pints. I take a pint out. You have four pints. So you say, okay, but I really believed in this cause. So I'm going to live the rest of my life with four pints. But that isn't what happens. Within a week to 10 days, your body has given you back that pint again. And you have five again. And you can go and do it again. Well, that's the way it is with money. When you become a giver, you give it out. But it keeps coming back. And you give it out. And it keeps coming back. So I would say to you, Dare to get uncomfortable in this and become a giver and make a difference in your other people's lives and support causes that you believe in. And then the second part of your question is develop not only mentally, but I believe it's critically important to develop spiritually. And I believe one of the most important things any leader can do is begin his day with a time of praising and worshiping and bringing in the presence of God, not asking for things, not pleading for things but thanking God for what you have and thanking him for his presence that will guide and direct you throughout the day. I love it. Um, wrap it all up for us, Bob. Uh, I'm going to give you a line to kind of start with because it's a line that you've said that I think is, is, is profound. Maybe simple, but they're sometimes the most profound. You have said, make normal your enemy. Um, just use that as the baseline to wrap up our conversation today. Yeah, I, I got a little bit from my friend, John Mason. 
who wrote a best-selling book here in America called An Enemy Called Average. And it's the same concept of normal is the enemy of great. Uh, if you haven't read the book, uh, 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 oh, come on, uh, th think great, the red cover, big, big print. I forget the name of it. Uh, oh, good is the enemy of great. If, yep. you, haven't read, if you haven't read that book, it, it's, it's a great book, but, but it has a, a tremendous principle that we sometimes settle for where we are when God wants to give us so much more. And we settle for living a life of existence where he wants us to live a life of impact. And he can't change that life for us. But if we begin the process, he will show up and he will help us and empower us to live that life, particularly if he sees that we're making a difference in the lives of other people. So my challenge to you today is don't settle for normal. Don't settle for average. Say, I am going to be one of those that is going to make a difference in the lives of other people. And when you do that, you not only make a difference in their lives, you will make a difference in your life. Awesome. Hey, Bob, I, I just appreciate all of that wisdom that you've just poured out. And, um, you know, for the listeners, like that's, that's, they're, they're, that's all lessons learned over a long period of time. And like I said at the start, what I love about Bob is he's, he's prepared to share it. Um, you know, and if you follow Bob on social, which you should, you'll see there that um, I, I reckon I see more posts, Bob, about your family than anything else. You post a, every birthday in your tribe of nine million people, it seems. You celebrate. And, uh, and, and you know, like, obviously, I don't, I don't know your family, but I can see that family is a really important part to you. And just like you said about Zig, uh, his same person on stage and off stage, I'm prepared to say that about you. You are, you are this, you, you've got wisdom here in this business setting but you're a great family man outside of here, you know, and, and you champion your family and, and your kids and your kids' kids. And I don't know if there's another generation, but, um, you know, I just think it's wonderful to see somebody who is prepared to be that public too, um, with their straight out love for family. Well, it, it, it I almost lost that, that family. I, my wife one day fell down. My first wife who passed away fell down and said, God, what do I do? I don't love them anymore because I was so busy in business ignoring her and I was critical and negative and chintzy and all of those forces had driven love out of our marriage and I came to the realization of having right priorities and it changed my life when I caught a hold of that and up until the time of her death uh, those next 27 years were just absolutely tremendous uh, and uh, and there's another story you know uh, one of the most tragic events of my life my life isn't all positive happy good stories I watched my wife die I watched her take her last breath and face the uncertainty, all that meant, and the five kids and everything else that meant. And it looked like negative and looked like loss. It looked like the end of everything. But see, God, with God, the end of one chapter is the beginning of another chapter. And here I am living today now with my new wife. We have eight children between us. That's 16 children total because they're all married, 21 grandchildren, eight great-grandchildren, and they all love together, love each other. And it's just the most wonderful experience to be around that. That anybody can imagine. I love it. Hey, uh, I look forward to catching up, you know, again in person one day, whether that's maybe in Hawaii or maybe you come over here and, and, uh, and if you do, let me know, we can do something together. Yes, um, absolutely. But I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Um, for the listeners, go to increase.org and go and check out these events. Maybe some of you guys want to come with me if we go in April. Um, but um, yeah, just appreciate you and uh, appreciate the nod to Australia in the background there. I think that's a really nice touch.
Um, yeah, and, uh, and, and just, you know, pray a blessing over you that the rest of your life will be the best of your life and, and, and that everything's going to go well for you. Yeah, if it's okay, let me just pray a prayer blessing over the audience. Is that all right yeah, with you? That'd be, that'd be I, I don't know what you traditionally do, but Father, I just thank you right now that you have created a divine appointment with us to be together. And I pray for each one that's been watching that you just release them to a new life of increase. Bless them in their coming in and going out. Bless them in the city and the field. Bless all they set their hands to. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, as we always do traditionally at the end of the episode, I want you to think through, okay, what were the things that really jumped out to you during this episode, right? There was a lot that we covered, but there would have been things that really leapt on the inside. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take the one thing and put it in the comments below, and I want to engage with you there. I want to see what's popping. I want to see what Dr. Bob said that really impacted you. I want that feedback loop. So make sure in the comments below, you put the top one thing that jumped out to you. Hey, Bob, it's been a delight. We'll catch up soon. Okay, great. Bless you.